This is SEMO, where we help you see more. In today's episode, we are speaking to Jason Briscoe. Jason's a designer by trade, but has his fingers in many pies. He helps clients find the vision and courage to take on the world through his creative agency, The Workshop, uh, currently based out of Toronto. He helps nonprofits through a workshop series called Impactor, and that's to ultimately accelerate positive change. Uh, and also, you would never guess, but he's a professional bagpiper and supports next generation talent through the Hino. If that wasn't enough, he also has helped launch several startups, including YoYo Wallet, B4E Vault, Area, The Give, The Vision Mission, and Unreal FM. Jason's one of the most genuine guys I've met, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the SEMO podcast. I am here with Jason Briscoe, designer, creative, musician, traveler, doer, maker, and all-round cool guy. Awesome to have you here, buddy. Welcome. Thank you, dude. That kind of gave me goosebumps. That sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome to have you have you on. Um, what have you been up to? You've been you've been you've been traveling and stuff. Yeah, lately you've been traveling, but uh, geez, it's like a bit of a whirlwind the last little bit in the in the short term, man. Last few days, like you know, back over to London, living in Toronto now. So made the step back there, but over here to London, up to Aberdeen to play some bagpipes. We'll get into that in a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> and then uh, Berlin and back here. So uh, things have been pretty good. Awesome. Well, we're gonna do some icebreakers first, Let's and then it. we'll get into the heart of the conversation. Cool. Um, so you ready? Let's do it. Hip-hop or rock? Oh, rock. You have one weekend, one week, and one year. Where would you choose? London, New York, Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> one weekend, I'm in New York. One week, I'm in London. One year, exactly where I am in Toronto. Awesome. <laughs> Loving those, uh, what's it, like this calendar seasons, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite destination you have visited? Caribbean. Nice. I love Caribbean. Uh, a destination that you haven't visited but most excited to? You have on the list. Yeah, good one. Probably Sri Lanka. Yeah? yeah. That's a, your second uh, podcast guest that has said Sri Lanka. Yeah, I don't know why. I feel like I feel like it's one of those places that's on the up and up, and it's yeah, like starting it. to get pretty on people's radar, and then when that happens, and then it kind of gets a bit touristy, so if you can sneak in there before that happens, it, it gets good. Room, desk, car, which do you clean first? <laughs> They're all clean. I'm anal clean. Oh, wow, there you go. <laughs> that's good. Good yeah. answer. All right, well, that's it. That's the answer. Nice. Um, analog or digital? Oh, time and place, I guess, but I'm going to say digital. Favorite color? Blue. You own a bar. What would be the house drink? I think two years ago I would have said old-fashioned. Now I say Negroni. Interesting. They're quite similar, right? Or Campari, a little bit more yeah. bitter and stuff like that. I don't know. Nice. And uh, and lastly, a fun fact about you. Fun fact. Uh, well, most people don't know this, but um, I play bagpipes professionally, and I have been doing so since ten years old. So, you know, most people don't get to know that side of things unless they get a real sneak peek into my backstory. But still doing that very much. So it's kind of a funny thing when they associate a Canadian bagpiper, but. That's, that's my fun. Well, we're going we're gonna to get into that. Um, so great to have you on. Uh, to kick off the podcast, tell us a little about your story and, and what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, it's a good question. And I'll circle, I'll circle back to 24-year-old Jason, which was in Toronto and kind of ready to spread my wings, do something bigger and better um, and broader. And I love the city of Toronto, but at that point, I just needed to grow out and do something a bit different. So I made the move to, actually, the first stop was Miami. And I did a, uh, a liquor brand for Rick Ross, Lil Wayne, uh, <laughs> Lil John, a whole bunch of hip-hop guys. And it was, uh, it was quite the, the liquor, too. It was um, pomegranate, lychee, dragon fruit, premium vodka, um, mezcal. It was not nice. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I did a really nice job on the design of the bottle. It's like a lot, a, a lot of buzzwords on a bottle. A lot of buzzwords on a bottle, but it suited the community perfectly fine. 
So I did that, but I lasted eight months in Miami, and then that very quickly led me to a, a trip to New York, where I lasted about seven years in New York. Um, big things happened in New York for me. I came in as a solo guy, starting trying to find my voice as a business, you know, businessman, designer, creative, and uh, kind of where my focus was going to be. And uh, very soon, I had a really good client, one uh, she, Jennifer Post Architects, and she was one of these people who sort of was under my wing and kept pushing me um, as a client. Uh, but as someone to get out and kind of grow my business even more so. So I did that, and I grew a nice little size team in New York. Um, about four years into the into being there, we actually merged with another company called the Ito Partners, which were a very, a very like philanthropic firm, did a lot of uh, social for good type work, and we became the design arm for that. So that was great. Did that for a few years. But then my run in New York kind of uh, came to an end. I was tired. You know, it's like you live this lifestyle in New York where you're up early, uh, you stay out late, and... Fine for a, like late 20s, um, but I was getting to a point where I just needed to do something different. So I had a passport for the UK, so it was a, a natural step. It was either there or Australia. Australia, amazing, but just so far removed. So um, London felt like the next step. Plus, I was playing bagpipes in a band in Scotland, and I was commuting uh, New York to Scotland once a month to do that. So that was a big enough wait. Um, so anyways, made the move to London, came there, started up a small office in East London in Shoreditch, uh, I stayed in total six years. It was amazing. Um, I met a beautiful girl, and now I have an amazing two-and-a-half-year-old son. And I think it was just one of those things that we love the UK, happy as anything there, but just came back to Toronto and just felt a bit of magic, and that brought us back last January. So full circle, 24 now to 39, sitting in a Toronto you know, home in East Toronto with like lots of green space, parks, beautiful office, good friends, good vibe, a lot of snow, <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's brought me full wing right back there, and it's, it's pretty darn good. Awesome. What, what an awesome story. Um, I want to kind of rewind a bit and tell us a little bit about the workshop, and I guess that was the design practice that you set up in New York. So kind of how did that come about, and, and what, what is that? And you, still, yeah, you totally. still have the workshop today, right? <clears throat> yeah, I do. I do. So when I first got to New York, it was called Candescent. That was the very first company, and Candescent was really ultimately just me. And, uh, was that one of the buzzwords from the, uh, the Miami Mezcal brand? <laughs> Candescent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we made, I, I made, I just really kind of took, I was a, a glorified freelancer consultant, but I surrounded myself with a couple of good people and good talent, and they en ended up coming in, and that was when we actually merged with Ito. Um, after Ito, that was when I started the workshop. Love the name. I like the idea of building, making, working with other people being super immersive in the actual creative space and not just the output, but the process and everything. So I wanted to surround myself with a lot of really good people. The, the actual of the workshop was birthed because of the idea of a physical space where we actually, as freelancers, came together, jammed, worked on projects. Maybe potentially other people could come into the space, have a coffee. Maybe we were printing T-shirts. Maybe they were seeing what was happening, but we were also working on big projects as well. So I love the name, and it still sticks, and it still works. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how the workshop came to be. And it's evolved after time because we were a brand agency at first. Like we did a lot of branding, uh, mostly visual identity brand and web design. But now it's kind of morphed over time into the now team of nine people that we have into very much like digital strategy, uh, digital products, mobile apps. Uh, also heavy on brand, but brand as a strategy, design as a strategy, design as a function within businesses. So I get really geeky about that. So instead of just turning around projects and just doing something pretty for them now we're spending months and we're getting really into the weeds on their strategy and like how they function as a business why they function that way what is their tone of voice how do they communicate from which lens and then how can we tell that story in a really authentic beautiful way and in a gorgeous like interface or brand design that's that's really interesting um, we had uh, another fellow canadian uh, jonas altman on the podcast and he was talking about how when he initially set up his um, kind of design consultancy, social practice, uh, social fabric. It was it was kind of revolutionary at the time. This was like ten years ago. I guess it's a similar time to what you're discussing about that Hollywood model of of you know now it's quite trendy or you know kind of normal that people bring together lots of people of different skill sets to create uh, you know kind of an agile business. But back then, were you quite revolutionary in terms of the service you were providing? I th I think so. And I think it was, I think it was only revolutionary because I was really transparent about it. Like I told clients about it and I told them that we didn't have an office, which sometimes flagged them. Like when we were in New York, we, there was one year we got Twitter and Lexus as clients to do a partnership for Super Bowl. 
And that even that client, when they asked about our team size and who we were and everything, was pretty pretty honest about it just to let them know that our team was actually, you know, across the world, front-end developers, back-end developers, mobile, all that good stuff. So at the time, it was I think it was pretty radical to do that. And then even more radical, just to be honest, because I know quite a few companies that kind of slid it under the radar and they would just get the work. And as long as the client didn't know, then that was fine. But I think at that point, being really transparent, really honest about it was, was actually the thing that actually made me win in the end. And, and whereas now, if anything, people would be like, oh, that's that's cool. You know what I mean? It's cool, but it also, like, it's also, it's a money saver, too. Like, it's a cost saver. There's no, like, let's, you know, let's be honest. Like, rents are huge. Salaries are huge. So when I win, when we win as a business, like, everyone wins. And I think that's just a better model. Yeah. And not to have those big kind of fixed overheads, right? No, exactly. Keeping, But that's the thing is I think our, our rates have gone up over time. Uh and then that's why, like just recently in Berlin pitching a business, if we win one of these things, it's like then everyone in the team wins. So it's like, but we're all sort of very, uh, very quietly committed to each other in the practice and the work and the craft that we do. But each of us are still technically just freelancers. We're all doing our own thing, but we all have a real union and a real partnership through things like Slack and everything like that. We're always on video and chat all throughout the day. So might as well stick us in the same room together. <laughs> and, and that was it. You mentioned it earlier, but I was going to say in terms of, you know, Young Jason in New York, you were just kind of hustling, being a freelance designer, then kind of looking for fellow peers and then kind of just naturally through meeting these kind of fellow designers, you then thought, well, let's make something out of it. Was that kind of the process? Yeah. yeah. Had you gone to New York with like an idea of what you wanted or were you just like, let's no. go for it? I went, I went to go actually the very first time I went when I was leaving Miami before I even knew I wanted to, uh, to move to New York was... Um, I ended up getting a hotel for three days, and it was to go and meet with Jennifer Post, this architect. And it was really funny because that those three days turned into an like a, a crazy amount of love and passion for that city, and that turned into my next seven years. <laughs> so I literally landed back in uh, on the runway in Miami, flipped on my phone, and they were like, "Yeah, you got the apartment. It's all approved." And I was like, six days later, turned around and moved to moved to New York. Um, but I think. In the end, I ended up realizing, like through Jennifer Post, that I needed actually a developer, and we needed to write copy. So I needed to go and find these people, and it's been a project in itself trying to find the right talent to put around things. Not that their people are flaky, but just trying to find the right people that have the right voice, that have the right kind of energy and passion. Because anyone that knows me knows that I have a ludicrous amount of energy and passion around the stuff that I do. So I kind of want the people that I work with to have that same pizzazz and fire under them in the work that we do. And pride. Um, so naturally that grew that way. So, you know, and I even look at like clients like Jennifer Post, even at talking about like a hustle. I hustle big time, but I realize I really undercharged. Because at the end of that project, here I am talking so much about, you know, Jennifer, but she did one of the coolest gifts ever. She, she bonused me at the very end of the project, but she said to me, she's like, I almost didn't hire you. And it was because you didn't charge me enough. And wow. she designs, you know, Simon Cowell's home and Beyonce's home and big, all those big celebs. So I came in. And she, her analogy was like, I don't go and buy, you know, a $20 t-shirt. When I go and buy a t-shirt, it's $500 t-shirt. So she goes, I have an expectation when you're going to come in and do my brand and my website that that's where you should put me. Super big lesson. And then from that day, it just kind of took off from there. And I guess in a lesson that, you know, any emerging designer or kind of young freelancer, you know, you don't get taught how, how do you price yourself? It's tough. Like, at the beginning, think, it's like <clears throat> almost, I mean, I know you're a little bit more advanced, but like at the beginning, it's like get the experience, work for free and stuff like that. And it's like, it's a real kind of weird uh, thing people are discussing at the moment in the industry. You know, how do you get the first foot in the door and how do you learn how to price yourself? It's so, it's, uh, oh my gosh, it's such a gray area and it's so tough and you can read as many articles as you want. But I feel like to each their own, you know, the value as an art is only in the eye of what people are going to place on it. And for me, you know, I, the time and energy that we put into the stuff, I place that and value that high. I think we do really great work and we do, a, you know, the output that we give is worth it. So I price ourselves there. But I think in the early days, you know, you just have to, as any even up and coming designer, freelancer or whatnot, you just have to look at where you want to be. I think quality of life, the things, everyone has bills to pay, everyone has things to pay. Just put yourself at a spot where you feel comfortable with and always know that you can grow and push from there. But I think it's always good to push yourself actually a little bit further than where your comfort zone is and test it and see what happens. You never know. There was that always that, that other story a long time ago about a guy who, you know, all of a sudden 10 times his fees and only won one of 10 projects versus doing the same fee that he was doing and winning 10 projects. You know, it's the exact same thing. So it's like 
test it, see it, and you'll and be okay with the fact that you'll lose a few of those projects, but know that that's kind of part of the journey, you know, finding your sweet spot. And so when you decided to to move to London, did you? Uh, how did that work with the workshop? Did you have clients lined up in London? Kind of, did you just let everyone know, and then you kind of remote worked and made it happen, or what was that process like? Like most things, I just dove in deep and <laughs> figured it out. So you know, I I knew East London was where I needed to be because friends had told me it was kind of cool. So made the move there. Started zero clients to answer that question. Um, most of my clients still to this day, if I'm honest, still come from New York or still come from West Coast, California. Um, but it took me a little while to crack into the scene here uh, in London. And it was, this city was great to me in friendships and great to me in fun, but difficult for me in business. It took me a while to crack, crack that code. And I don't know if it was a cultural thing being Canadian. Sometimes like, you know, uh, the UK likes to support UK naturally. So it was just a tough nut to break into. But by the very end, um, I ended up redesigning like Jameson Whiskey's website which was great, and uh, and won the pitch by actually playing bagpipes in the pitch. No way. So that was how I got it. I didn't even start. The whole pitch was about That's cinem- awesome. There's a, there's a <laughs> label on the brand called Cinemetu. It's on every single every single bottle, and it's about living without fear. And I started the pitch. Uh, I said, because this is the sort of ethos for this whole site redesign, this is my Cinemetu, and I just literally pulled out the pipes and started playing. And they told me after, they said, the moment you did that, there was, there was no pitch to win. It was like you already won it. <laughs> But, I mean, let's set the scene here. This is not like outside. This is like in a tiny meeting room. This is and in, bagpipes in, are loud, man. In, like, in Pernover Card's office in, Nor- in Dublin <laughs> with, you know, six people in a meeting room. But I thought, you know what? It's all about being brave, putting that out there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you touched on the workshop, and we're going to go in a bit more about the process and stuff shortly. But jasonbriscoe.com, you are a man of many talents and also kind of get yourself involved in lots of different startups and things, but kind of some of the core focuses of yours, you have Impactor, um, which is a free community workshop series for accelerating positive change. Uh, The High Note, which is where you're preparing the next generation of pipe bands for the world stage. Uh, And then Unreal FM, you know, kind of new creative mixtape. So do you want to touch on each one you know not crazy amount of detail but yeah but, but no, absolutely. Today, is there a lot of synergy what why there aren't you too busy <laughs> no yeah so there's there's definitely overlap when i was in new york we i, I ended up coming in contact with a guy alex ablin who was the community affairs guy at google and because we were doing a lot of social impact type work it was a natural fit we were doing design workshops impact workshops with custom with customers and stuff so i felt that this was like a natural fit so we birthed what impactor is and Basically, you take nonprofits or for purpose organizations at a pivotal point in their organization where they're struggling and they need help and they have a big question or a big something they need help with. And what we do is we rally like anywhere from 30 to 60 people, put them around a table together in three hours at Google. It was sponsored by Google uh, for the very first two years of it and rapidly prototype in the most imaginative, fun way, sticky notes, voting on ideas. And then at the very end of it, um, presenting your idea in the most creative, fun, laughable, playful way. And the bonus is at the end of it, it's an amazing way for 30 to 60 people to meet, collide, know that they're after something, you know, very purposeful. And the nonprofit walks away with like actionable, tangible ideas that they can take away and put towards their nonprofit or social impact organization. So that still exists today. Um, We've done quite a few of them. I think we've done about 60 in total. And I'm just going to say it like if there's organizations out there that need a little bit of help with this kind of stuff, please reach out. Impactor.co. There's a massive opportunity for us to rally communities in any city, really, because um, we've got a, an incredible network of people that we can rally against that. Uh, the high note is uh, was is this bagpiping uh, give back that I've got. Um, all about the gives back, give backs. But I think this actually stemmed from me having a child, if I'm honest. So two and a half year old son, love my, my, my little dude, working with kids. And I've also played and won at the highest level you can in pipe bands. So for me to keep chasing that and keep playing in that level, seemed like a miss when there was an opportunity for me to go and get my hands in with a bunch of uh, younger next generation talent and help them. So there's grades in pipe bands, grade one, two, three, four, uh, 4A, 4B, and then they go up, um, four being, being, 4B being the lowest. Um, so anyways, ran this, the thing, the high note, it, it was like, a, you know, you had to nominate a band for, to, for me and uh, a friend of mine, Glaren, who's a snare drummer for us, and we're gonna come in and mentor the band for the next year. So we're gonna do video workshops, we're going to be a part of it. Um, we're going to help with your music, your technique, your expression, your confidence, your instrument itself. 
Um, so anyways, the very first one was literally a few days ago in Aberdeen. So it was voted on, over 3,000 votes, had us join uh, Coulter and District Pipe Band, who are up in Aberdeen, grade 4B band, 16 pipers, uh, five snare drummers, a bass, four tenors, and we've joined them for the year. We play with them at the World Championships. We mentor them and help them. Just got a message before we came in here saying the amount, the, the amount of confidence that the band is feeling. So it's like... Wow, that's it's awesome. A, it actually gives me goosebumps even saying it now. It's just such a wonderful thing. And that's, I feel like instead of going and chasing another world championships, taking my energy, harnessing it, and, you know, chasing, uh, you know, having an impact inside a smaller... And is there there. like a, a macro uh, kind of element to that though as well? Like, uh, you know, forgive me if I'm mistaken, but is that kind of type of music is it on the de- you know in terms of the next generation coming in is it kind of on the decline and therefore outfits like yours are promoting it or is it actually quite big in scotland and no one no, really knows it's about huge it? it's yeah. huge in scotland but the win is buddy is none no grade one players no top players i don't want to make it sound bad but it's just they these grade four bands they don't get access to top talent like this especially to come in like you can pay a lot of money to have a couple guys come in for a weekend and run a workshop but first of all this industry is not like a money thing Definitely, it's not well-funded. It's not like, you know, there's any kind of government assistance. It's not like the people that play have lots of money. So um, they don't have the access to get great talent to come in. Never mind two guys joining them for the whole year and working with them. And we're going to play with them at the Worlds and everything. So it's it's heavy. Like, there's a lot of... Believe it or not, Canada produces a ton of bagpipers. Obviously, Scotland, plenty. But these like bands like this just don't have access to it. So to have us come in work intensely intimately with them is just like a game changer thing and at the end of the day the only expression for pipe bands is not concerts and not stuff it's competition so world pipe oh, okay, band championships yeah. so it's a competition led it's all competition stuff so as much as i instill it's about the journey it's about putting out your best performance the result is what we do at the world's and I want to get them to a place where we win the worlds with them, you know, and get their confidence super. I'm just high, seeing so. like I'm envisioning like a blindside kind of movie with you kind of leading the bagpipe band to the wilds <laughs> and it's like as some kind of what was that 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 drummer film that was out of America? Oh, I can't remember. What are you thinking, Braveheart or something? No. Like, <laughs> there was a film about like um it, it was like that oh. in like a school and it was like a The Kid Drummer. Yeah, or something like that. And there's like it's like a, in the marching band, and then like wow. they, they become on to become like quite famous. But yeah, anyways, watch out for that film, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. And then tell us a little about Unreal FM. Unreal.fm is actually started off as a bagpiping effort as well, because again, there's so much young, incredible talent doing really innovative, interesting music, but there's nowhere for them to host it outside of maybe like popping it on their SoundCloud or something like that. So. Technology is good enough to record good stuff. Talent's out there making amazing stuff. And it was like, okay, well, we'll create this platform. So it was like a monthly mixtape series of music that came out that amplified young talent making incredible, innovative bagpipe music. So it was a super narrow focus. But um, we ran it for two years as a bagpiping thing. And unfortunately, this speaks to the amount of people that are doing this. Uh, We had to pivot because we didn't have enough music, didn't have enough music to keep it going. But what we did do in lieu of that was designed uh, a native iOS app and made it actually and we got artists musicians creators to go and make experimental mixtapes so experimental as in not in one genre but take you on like an hour long journey and create these mixtapes and then now unreal.fm is uh, is a basically like a music mixtape uh, compilation of great music on there patches through to uh, Spotify's API and so you have to have Spotify Premium to use it, but then when you use that, you've got like a bountiful amount of really cool music. Actually, the best thing about what Unreal has become, if I'm honest, it's the most amazing dev tool or biz, biz dev tool for us at the workshop. Because people see it, they see how beautiful it is, like animations, feel, music's great too, but all this, like the whole energy of it is awesome. So it's actually become, as a, from a bagpipe mixtape thing to, you know, experimental music mixtape piece to like as a biz dev tool, it's been amazing. Awesome. So going back now a bit more on kind of the design creative side. Yeah. Um, what is your creative process and what steps do you take when working through a project? Yeah, this is, it's a good question because I feel like it changes all the time. It's never isn't like there's no one process and there's no one path. And I think the interesting thing is, especially I would say in the last two years, I found a real, real sweet spot. And I think that's only finding a real sweet spot in the business that you do in the offering versus just your process. So now, like I said before, we're not as interested in just making something look pretty. We want to get really in the weeds. So before we even touch design, there's so much 
strategy, content, copy, voice, brand work that is done before we get there. So what happens now when we first start a project, we have a copywriter who's also a strategist, myself, and usually a developer, and we sit together and we sort of like brainstorm a project. We think about it from you know high level, low level, big idea, small idea, and blow that apart, create scenarios, and then we try and help companies figure out who they are and how they communicate in the most authentic, kind of short, succinct way. Um, before we even touch a design. And that's become sort of something that I think has become the sweet spot. So it actually indirectly doesn't even affect me. It affects the copywriter and the strategist, but having that foundation lays the land for anything that I do. So it's actually made me a better designer. It's made the work that we do better. It's made the intent, the result more focused, more impact. Um, so much so that so many times companies will come to us and be like, hey, we want to do this and this, and then end up at the end, you know, they have a completely, we, we actually give them a brand new business name a brand new identity, a set of you know, guiding principles in their design language. Um, so sometimes what clients come in for versus what they actually come out with, and it's not selling upselling, but it's finding the sweet spots of how we can help them the most. And, and what is that time, you know, I guess timing is everything. And it's that, I guess it's not like a two week process. You know, what is it? Is it three month process, six months, a year? Yeah, good question. It's, um, I think, you know, it all depends on the output and what we're doing. But for, for example, one of the ones that we're doing right now includes an iOS Android app includes uh, you know, a, a fully designed back-end content management system, a marketing website, uh, a submissions platform, uh, brand language and everything. That's taken us eight months. So that's, been, that's, that's on the heavy big side. Most projects, we can help them with something like this in the three to four month range. And how would you get unstuck when you're struggling for ideas? Good question. Um, most times, I'll bounce to my my team and I have zero ego when I do this as well because there's no right answer and there's no right design either like most of the time and so much of my team is so much younger and has way less experience but I know they have great ideas so I don't ever find I get stuck too much because if I make good use of the people that are around me they can help amplify ideas spur new ones I'm guilty for fluffing around you know, design websites, seeing some of that stuff. Weirdly, architecture kind of inspires me. Life inspires me. Go to a, get out, walk around, go see stuff. You know what else inspires me? Hanging out with my son. Go play. Just be silly. Bring yourself back to another space and then come back to it. But one thing I don't do is I don't sit at my desk and look for ideas. Uh, I leave the desk and I go live. I go have fun. I go do stuff. I take the day off. I go play. You know, again, I talk about my son, but it's like, he brings a certain essence to my life that I go back to my desk and then I start looking at stuff the next day and it's like the problem's already solved. Yeah. And uh, what industry changes have you witnessed over the last few years? I think more of a focus on digital product more than web sites. <clears throat> and I think that's when it's funny, like my education had me in editorial design and I haven't touched anything editorial in about five years. I miss it. But I think that took me to web design, which was actually a, a bonus having the editorial background and sort of blurring the lines of grids and screen and what else you can do there. But that to web to now to digital product. And it's funny, you just have to be agile and let that kind of change happen within you too because I think these days if you're too strict upon one thing and too focused upon one thing and not willing to like explore the other sides or as industry takes you, then you're kind of missing a big opportunity. And everywhere yeah. it seems more business more businesses across different industries are investing in better design, whether it's graphic or industrial design. Um, for the purpose of this question, like focused on graphic visual design, which industries and brands are doing it well and which need help, i.e. a new lick of paint? Yeah, I think architects have always done it well from a graphic standpoint. Like they really care about design as a visual component so much and language. Um, there's a lot that get it wrong. And I don't know specifically industry. You know, even I even sometimes look at fashion and I wonder where's fashion's going with some of these designs because they try so hard versus sometimes just designing what the obvious is. And you think about like smart design, like functional design, sometimes it's like under design. Kind of the things that like Apple does so well. You know, they under design things so beautifully that they actually just become so natural to use. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, everyone, it's like less is more and, you know, simple is becoming... Yeah, that's such an easy thing to say, but to design it, especially to wrap, again, I go back to the strategy side, like the content that you use, the imagery, how do you communicate things in 20 seconds and have massive impact versus, you know, 
jamming a bunch of stuff and yelling and, and talking lots about things and trying to get it in somewhere in there. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And, and why do you think branding is so important? I think because we emotionally connect with brands on a different level and not from, yes, from experience for some on a material and a product basis, but on an emotional level, that's why I love copywriting and content that allows me to feel something. And I think when brands tell me, not tell me, but when they help share with me how they feel, then I'm emotionally then connected with their story. And I think that's why when you take that emotion or that feeling and you wrap it around, what does that feel like? That, what, did that, what does that feel like look like in a visual sense? That's a fun place to be as a designer because then you get to create what that visual looks like, that visual expression of what that feel is. And that's what I love doing. And how much of what you do, so obviously it, you know, we're in this digital world, we all know the song goes, video killed the radio star. Do you think digital will kill the high street or those physical experiences? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, and I have no clue what's going to happen, but I think high street, you know, on my walk up here on Regent Street, there's still a lot of empty space that's sitting there. And that's empty prime space. And it's like, I think it's just a matter of time before like big office buildings, big companies, big retail, big commercial is going to be outdone by online shops. We're all guilty of it. The, the simplicity and ease of things like Amazon now are just so mindless that it's like, course i just need something boom boom gone done easy think about big big brands there's still something to be said for me personally like walking into a store trying something on feeling it but i think i'm i think a lot of people a lot of consumers are just becoming more and more okay with putting their card information making a purchase and letting the return process and all that stuff be easy enough that saves them money than having the high street location in terms of shopping but then would you agree that like you know if People are traveling now, uh, physical experiences like getting together with friends, whether it's food and stuff like that, kind of tangible experience, I guess, is still true compared to, you know, transactional buy a jacket from a website. I can understand. Uh, but yeah. Would, but would you say, you know, I, oh, guess... I think if anything, we're more starving for that than ever, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think that's why you see companies like Airbnb put so much emphasis on experiences, physical experiences, in-person experiences. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like that's, that's something that's sort of not lacking, but you can almost see, especially on social and stuff, people are hungry for. They want more in-person moments because tech digital moments, even though I said uh, you know, digital at the very start, the analog moments are still something that are few and far between for us. And how much of your work with brands, I mean, does any of it, if ever, translate to the offline element of the business or is it just purely online or yeah. digital? It, I, I wish it did, but it doesn't <clears throat> because we're very tangible as a product and brand design in those experiences. And anytime there are physical experiences, I think they're done by other companies and they're brought to life by other companies. So not yet, but it's something that I'd love to play with. Yeah. And what is the growth strategy looking ahead for the workshop? So you're now back in... Toronto. I'm back in Toronto. Um, there's another two designers that have joined me in Toronto, which is amazing. Um, plus my team over here. The one thing I'll say is, you know, I think, and I might go against the grain in this, but a lot of companies create big growth strategies about what they're going to do. I have personal goals about where I want the business to go in terms of a financial growth. But that financial growth really is just impacts and trickles along the team that I have, more so than it is my own financial growth. Um, I'm very much present with where the business is and take opportunities that feel right from a gut perspective and an emotional perspective versus worrying about getting big projects, big things, getting an office. Like someone said to me a little while ago, because of the amount of stuff that we're doing, they're like, why don't you have an office? Why don't you get a full-time team? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And for some reason, it's just like things are just feel good right now. I have a great groove. I've got solid talent. That's been years of trying to find that talent, but solid talent around me. And it just, it works seamlessly and works beautifully right now. So back to the question, I don't think I have a, a massive growth strategy because life is going to take me in different places. You know, I've got my idea. I don't know. I don't want to wander from that question, but I've, I'm really exploring quite intently right now uh, another education, an alternative um, sort of progressive education platform with a school that's in New York and being the arm for them to come to Toronto. Uh, I'm kind of socializing the idea with people about a after high school um, education, I guess you could say education, but more uh, experiential campaign or uh, experiential platform, sorry, for kids coming out of high school to figure out instead of just taking a guess at what they want to do in their life, 
actually putting them in internship, real life internship scenarios for a year and creating an ed- a platform around that that helps them do that with the likes of Google, Apple, Condé Nast, different companies like that. Um, so education sits high in my mind. And again, I say that, you know, growth strategy, it's like workshop is everything to me. And I will always have a baby in that and grow that and always try and support the team that sits around me. But I know I might personally pivot into education or into something and life will only tell me if I'm supposed to go there. And that's a big theme. I mean, I know now whether it's the top of your game in terms of being in the, in the design industry or whether it's, you know, playing, playing the pipes. Um, do you think that's, has that always been there or is that because now you have a two and a half year old son? Yeah, I think I still got the hustle. Like I love the hustle and I'll still push on those things. And it's not that I've won at this game because there's no game and there's nothing to win at. But I think I've won in my own heart at what I'm doing, which is why the high note came about for bagpiping and which is why the business and I'm exploring education, the education thing 1000% is to do with my son. But it's also to do with the fact that I struggle going through school. You know, had it not been playing for bagpipes uh, at ceremonies at school and being like the teacher's pet for that, <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, I probably wouldn't have had the marks and grades that I did. <laughs> but I, uh, I think that's where the focus comes in right now. It's like selfishly wanting to give my, set my son up for an amazing opportunity with something like that, but also feeling like up my design game, I also know, which is why I'm not very good at like, you know, doing mock-ups and sharing my work that way because I've got nothing to prove. I'm so content and happy just doing great work for clients and supporting the team around me and then exploring the next project where we can like flex our mind and do something different. So for me, it's that. I think my son still has a lot to do with it. That's definitely been a massive transformation. And how, um, like how, how are you juggling all of this? I mean, are you still kind of across every single project? You know, you have Impact, uh, um, you know, we touched on Unreal FM and the high note. And I know also that you kind of helped start up a few other different types of startups. I mean, I guess you have the, the energy and the passion, which, which is obvious, um, you know, having doing this interview with you now, but like, yeah, what, what, what drives you? Uh, how do you manage it and juggle it all? Um, I'm pretty diligent around, I'm like an efficiency geek. So I think I'm really, I'm super like kind of crazy about the way that I plan my days and what I do to make sure that I give everything enough weight that it needs. So gym's a big one for me, like first thing in the morning, F45. You ever heard of F45? So yeah. good. I go there um, like for maybe four days a week, three, four days a week. It's really good for the head, but it's also, you know, good for the fitness. Um, I actually don't have long days. I don't have crazy long days. And hopefully my clients aren't listening to that because <laughs> I think I've gotten to a point where I'm really good about being super productive. I don't, I'm not really much on like social media type stuff through the day. Uh, emails are off for the most part. So I'm not, I don't play the reactive game on that side. I get in, I know exactly what I have to do. I get to, you know, fuel my team, work on the design side. I'm very much funny enough becoming a project manager in a way too, with a design hat. So helping make sure all of our team is driving the right way, um, designing where I need to, making sure all trains are going at the same time. Um, and then Impactor is is such a beauty, but that is on an as-is basis. So when we get you know, uh, nonprofit organizations that come in, then I react with those and I carve out that time. And I'm not afraid to ever ha- ask for help or support around me from my team to make sure that we always get these things done in time. So I think I've been actually really good about under-promise, over-deliver with clients. I don't set wild expectations. I'm really rational about those things, turnaround times when we gotta get things back and that way you never really miss a beat. So between that and then the other thing is like being a dad now is like I want to get home truthfully like every day I leave work around three o'clock because I want to go home and I want to spend time with my little dude and my wife and be a family man too. I don't want to be you know tied up with work all the time. So in amongst seeing friends, you know, business, gym, all the other good stuff, I feel like I've got a really sweet life balance and that also has to do with like where you live. You know, we have a great home in, in the you know eastern part of the city in Toronto you know, gym is five minutes away. My office is five minutes away. So everything is just easy, you know? And that's the way I like it. And I think I sort of keep it that way from an efficiency way. And that just cuts out the noise and lets me do what I need to do really well in, in that amount of time. Yeah, Like absolutely. even today, like even I'll say though, even the high note, you know, here's me, Aberdeen, all of a sudden had to learn a bunch of music before I head up to Aberdeen. So it's not like I had a bunch of time to figure that one out. That crept up on me, but learn all that music. And then the next thing was going to Berlin and crafting everything to get ready for a big pitch. So 
sometimes I chase my tail, but for the most part, I always stay on top of it. And almost, I guess, you're kind of like constructing your own lifestyle and, and understanding the best ways of working. And, th and that, you know, that, I mean, that you're very fortunate to do that. And that's like a dream to anyone, you know, to be able to do that. And ultimately, it is kind of more of this new wave or the future of working, you know. Um, there's kind of this this notion around the four-hour work day yeah. um, and having those four golden hours in a day that you set aside and, and you work. Can you tell a little bit more about, um, you know, you said you're quite kind of regimented with your day. I mean, do you have like kind of white noise time to kind of just think and get inspired or do you have like, you know, you're a morning email guy? Yeah, good question, yeah. I'm my best in the morning. So that's why I do the early gym, you know, 6.30 in the morning uh, at the gym, come in. I do do emails, but for the most part, I kind of table those unless they're super high actionable things and I do my best design work first thing in the morning. Then I become a little bit more reactive in the afternoon. Um, coffee helps me get through that part because <laughs> my energy starts to fall away at two o'clock. But I think the other thing too is like, I don't, I just don't take things too seriously. Like I care about my business. I care about the people that are around me, but I also have fun. Like I take my business seriously, but I also don't let big, I don't let things get in the way of enjoying what I do every day. And I think that's a big one because I make sure if I'm, if I'm not having fun at the end of the day and if I'm not enjoying the clients and the stuff that I'm doing, it's gone. Like, why the hell am I doing this? So I make sure that all throughout these days and the, where I'm spending my time and the relationships that I have with clients, with my team, with my people, with my friends, we all align on those things and we're all driving towards the same spot. And I think that's the only thing that gets me through. Like the white noise thing, a walk home, a walk to the gym. I don't need much of it. I'm pretty tired at the end of the day, obviously, because when I walk in the door, my little dude is like ready to play. And it's like, it's hockey, it's basketball, it's soccer, football, it's the whole works, it's everything. <laughs> so sometimes I end up pretty tapped out, but my energy level, and for anyone that knows me like that, it's like I can go and go and go, and when I crash, I crash. But I have my moments, like, you know, walking to the gym and doing those little bits. And then through the day, like just, you know, 10 minutes out for lunch, have a little coffee, have a little walk, you know, those things help. So, so a nice segue um, into the next question. You, in 2018, at the beginning of the year, you, I guess I call it like you followed a campaign for yourself called More and Less, oh, which yeah. was an experiment that every month you would do more of what you love and less of what you are okay to let go. So tell me about, about that and how did you find that experience? Oh man, that's a good, <clears throat> that's a good one. Um, overall, in the end, uh, it was amazing and it was it was hard. It was Did you follow it? Hell. Sadly, I, I dropped out at the eight month mark um, and not intentionally, but just because it was hard. It was challenging. I had a really hard time balancing it. And you know what it was? Cutting things out was a breeze. That was easy, like cutting booze out. Um, I'm trying to remember all the bits that I did, but cutting things out was easy. Adding new layers in, like didn't call it meditation, called it mindfulness, moments to stillness. I think that was the word that I used. So allowing myself moments to be still. And it sounds beautiful, but all of a sudden when you actually have to carve out 20, 30 minutes just to be still in a day <laughs> with a two-year-old at the time, like a one and a half, two-year-old, that was, that was really tough. So it's like, where am I going to get those times to do that? I had a, I don't read a lot. I wish I did. I tried to read more, struggled there too, like trying to pick up a book. Obviously my little man wants to play all the time, so that was tough, but where do I do those? So it was, it was um, the moments of adding things into my already existing schedule was tough. Cutting them out was a breeze, but in the end, like it actually, the booze, like the, it's not that I drank a lot, but cutting out booze actually changed the way that I drink now. Because it's like actually, you know, just a little bit more in moderation. I'm always one of those people like love a glass of wine with dinner. And now I just, I'm cool doing water dinner, you know, things like that. So um, it actually had a profound effect in the end. So actually, so I thought more would have been more like, you know, you love doing X, you would do more of that. But actually it was finding more different stuff. You know what I mean? Because I wonder more. how if you did it, if it was like, I love playing, I love going at F45. If you're like, F45. I'm going to do times two at 45 this month and then less of, right. you know, the stuff that you didn't like. But I what guess... I, was, I had one of them was sweat one month and that was more of F45, funny enough. So, and I did do that and that was actually a really good one. But it was more of things that I just haven't done that I want to do. Like what's more stuff that I just don't get into or I'm afraid to do, but I want to do more of. And it was trying to find the time to carve that in was tough. Yeah. But it's an experiment. Like, listen, 
my friend Alex Ablin started it, um, and he did everything. I might be saying this wrong. Vipassana, I think it's like the ten day full silence retreat, and that's that. He said that was probably the toughest of them all. But I encourage people like if you've got an idea, more or less, make a note of it, make a path for your next, you know. And I think also be loose with it because I had an idea at the very start of the year. Here are my twelve things that I want to accomplish. Here are the ten more and lesses. And as I would go through, I would let my body, literally days before, tell me what the next month was. So my gut would tell me that where I was with busy with work, stillness was what I needed. No wonder I struggled, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what are you curious about right now? If I'm honest, I'm going to pull it back to education. I'm so curious about how I can try and change this. And that's and that's a personal thing or, or the more the giving back stuff we've discussed? Or is it like you're looking at actually this learning is, a new this thing? This is a personal thing. Like I am curious about it because it seems to be a hard nut to crack. And that is a, um, that's a system thing. Education as a system. And it's funny, I listened to Ken Robinson's talk again on uh, his TED Talk on education. And he did one, he did a podcast on it, on the TED Talk with Chris Anderson. And he also did the TED Talk. And it's just super profound. And he just, pokes holes in the fact that we're still learning in a way that is, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old um, in a very fragmented way. And the fact that we actually haven't adapted and changed that, especially for next young generation, I'm trying to find ways that you can be loyal and uh, embrace the, the system that it is and, the, and what education is so you don't go too far against the grain and you can still build trust by doing something radically different. So I'm exploring that, super curious about it. I feel like, you know what, we're going to chat in two years and I, I'm going to have a school. So that's the idea. <laughs> awesome. Well, wow, I look forward to that. Um, and then in regards to, you know, Curious, I guess you travel a lot and, you know, you have, you're have you fortunate enough to be able to travel with your wife and, and your son. Uh, have you always had the travel bug? Like, do you think it's important? Do you find kind of inspiration from traveling? Oh, big time. I think it's like opened up my eyes so much and not knowing so like when I was young, it was always like, oh, I'm going here. I'm going to travel here. And it was like cool to do that. But now it's almost like fundamental. It has to happen. And I think it's because, you know, these these moments of in and out are really important. These moments at the desk, working hard, this and that, and then giving your, you know, we maybe we bring it back right into white space, right? Like you, the time away allows you to breathe and it allows you to stay away. And the truth is, is there's nobody else that I want to do it with more than my wife and my child because it's a hell of a lot of fun. You know, like we have a ton of fun together. He doesn't sleep great, so we're always <laughs> tired. But it's um, those moments, getting to go and eat amazing food, mix up your routine, be uncomfortable, be stuck or be somewhere that you don't actually know where you're going. That kind of stuff I love. And it's, it's more and increasingly more and more fun as I do it with my fam too. So um, I've been fortunate. Yeah, I've been fortunate because I've traveled around the world. And I think because of that, I've got a lot of great cultural experiences that have made me probably a better businessman, a better all around cultured person, and probably also a better family man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, one of the the big themes around, you know, the podcast, see more, see more. It's, it's about, you know, sharing a platform with people of different backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities, ages, and, and industries they work in. And I think, you know, now, whether it's through technology, um, you know, we're able to, to share those stories. And I think that's so powerful to so many people. And it's so great that kind of travel is becoming more affordable. And, you know, yeah. even if it's just going two hours down to Spain or something, just to kind of remove yourself from that kind of day-to-day -day society, it's amazing how much you kind of open your mind, whether it's the taste, the sound, the smell, well, or the people that you meet. Time. The other thing I would say too is like, don't be afraid to like open your mouth and explore with people when you're there. Like so many people go away and they kind of nest and they get in their little own groove and stuff like that. But when you actually like socialize and chat with people and find out where they are, man, the stories, you know, of people of where they've been, the things that you learn along the way. And I think I feel like some of the most amazing people I've met have just been through travel. Just yeah. keep talking. And I've got, I've got, um, I haven't done it yet myself, but I have a few good friends, not together, but like individually, they actually, you know, they can do the nice holiday with their friends and everything, but they actually take some time and, and kind of go to a destination by themselves and stay in a hostel and do that just to meet people and, and kind of be immersed in that. And I think that's, I mean, it's not right, it's not for everyone, but I think I'd be so intrigued to do that and just 
meet loads of cool people. It's not for everyone, but if you just put yourself, put yourself in an uncomfortable spot and put it out on the line and see like who you meet, it's like you could never know where your night's going to take you, where that relationship is going to take you because that person might know someone else who knows someone else who is going to help you start your school. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and we're wrapping up now, but um, for all... For all the designers or the, the young kind of designers that might be listening to this or, or people getting into design, what, what tips or advice would you give them? I would, <clears throat> I'd actually say, you know, if, if I'm honest, like just explore. I would say stay off blogs, stay off all the other stuff. I like digital inspiration can kind of stay, can kind of like stop you. I would say just, just get out, explore, have conversations, be superhuman with people, talk to businesses, find opportunities. I feel like so many things have been, you know, some people could call it luck, but I think it's just the fact that I opened up my mouth and talked to people about what I did and what I was passionate about, and those opportunities found me. So in your day-to-day, speak to people. Make sure they know what you do, what you're passionate about. Let your passion fly. And I think those opportunities in life will, will actually, it's like the law of attraction. When you put that energy out there to the world, those, those jobs, those clients, those people, those relationships will find you. Awesome. And how can people find you? What are the, what's the website? What's the social channel? Uh, uh, well, my website, uh, jasonbriscoe.com. Email jb at jasonbriscoe.com. I have an Instagram, Jason, I think it's underscore, underscore Briscoe. Come on, Instagram friends, help me well, out. You can see that. everything from your let website. Me get a, it's all linked let up. Let me get a better being handle. The, being, <laughs> the, being the design nerd you are, you and everything's my, linked up in one place. There it is. If you want to see my family life, that's much on Instagram and biz at theworkshop.com. And, and an unofficial uh, Google Pixel ambassador right now. Oh, man. Those I photos am. are incredible. I've become such a Google Pixel fan. Fanboy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. You've been awesome. Cheers, Jason. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast can intrigue, inspire, and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people. I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.